2: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what do you think Sandra Lee has been up to these last few days? You gotta wonder where Sandra Lee comes down on all of this. Is she just making some semi-homemade goods? Or is she celebrating? Is she sad? I think she might be celebrating. Semi-sad? Is she semi-sad? Semi-sad. She's semi-sad.
0: Sandra Lee, for listeners who haven't, lived in New York recently or followed Sandra Lee's life is uh, Andrew Cuomo's ex, who is a famous, famous like Food Network host who used to make things out of other things that already existed. If you want to have a really weird I'm on another planet laugh, just go to YouTube and look up Sandra Lee Kwanzaa cake. Oh, that was very famous.
2: It was very famous.
0: You know what? If I were Sandra Lee, I would send Andrew Cuomo a Kwanzaa cake.
2: The original recipe that she came up with.
0: With the original recipe she came up with. I feel like it's the OG of those, you know, those like YouTube videos or those uh, TikTok videos of recipes where people react yes. with horror. I yes. feel like Sandra
2: Lee is, is the godmother of all of that. She's the original, uh, like making lasagna on your countertop by dumping ingredients on your countertop. Uh, trailblazer
0: and for that we have to love and respect her yeah we do this week Michaela Watkins and Emmy nominated writer Akilah Green join us to tackle the following questions why is New York the Illinois of sex pests how do we handle ladder pullers who make life harder for women who are just starting out who is the new Jeopardy host no seriously who is that guy all this and more right now Okay, lot of news today. In your state of New York, Alyssa, Andrew Cuomo did us the courtesy of resigning on a Tuesday and not a Wednesday after we recorded so that we were able to talk about his resignation, which I thought was really nice of him. I mean, appreach. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what the attitude has been in New York over the last week since that bombshell AG report came out implicating Andrew Cuomo in sexually harassing 11 women um, can you talk a little bit about what the attitude has been there and what the reaction has been among your friends and neighbors now that he's announced he's resigning?
2: Oh, let me just tell you, amongst my friends and neighbors, the texts were a-fly-in yesterday because well, it was it was – I don't know if it was supposed to be some sort of like fake-out, but his personal attorney did this very long – infuriating press conference prior to his press conference, where she went account by account and tried to discredit all of the women who had come forward and and tried to, for all intents and purposes, say that it was in fact the governor, Aaron who was the victim. Um, And so after that, which I listened to the entire time I was in the car, when I came home in time to watch his press conference, because I'm a fucking nerd, I was like, oh, I got to get home, got to see what's going on. I did not anticipate, you know, it was kind of like I was listening to it and he's going on and on. And then he starts talking about being victimized, about how he wants to fight. And I was like, okay, he's not stepping down. And then he was like, but I love New York and the government has to work. I was like, hell no. My neighbors start texting me. Hell no. We're watching this too. Is he really going to do it? Now, there's an interesting thing that's among New York political Twitter this morning is that the governor hasn't issued a letter or anything formal saying that he's stepping down. So people are definitely waiting for that. But, you know, essentially, this is a man who has bullied most of the elected officials in this state uh for his entire political career which is his whole life and i think that even months ago you know back in march when this really sort of was like okay guy you've got all these problems and he was like i asked for an investigation cuz he wanted to buy himself some time and you know i think that yesterday like a burden was lifted off of all of these elected officials who had been abused and threatened and targeted uh, for potentially their whole lives, but at least the last couple of months, because now they know that they're free, you know, Mm -hmm. that they can go ahead. I mean, he was known for his retribution. If you didn't support him, he would try to silence you in the New York State Assembly. He's not a good person, Aaron. And I think that people today are breathing a sigh of relief. I also think that it helped the further we get away from Trump, because back when especially the nursing home scandal, uh, where they said the governor or the governor did uh, hide deaths that had actually occurred in nursing homes. People said, well, his defender said, well, he did it because Trump was trying to target him. And as a New Yorker, you know, it's kind of hard. You did have to root for Andrew Cuomo during COVID because mm-hmm. because it was helping you, you know, it was helping us. He was He was fighting for New Yorkers. But then- You know, I think that the further we got away from Trump, the more people were like, oh, wait a minute. What the fuck? None of this is normal. Jesus Christ, we've been so fucked up seeing such a lunatic be the president of the United States that we thought that this wasn't actually that bad. And Mm -hmm. so months ago, there was a poll uh, asking New Yorkers whether or not they thought Cuomo should be impeached or step down. And the number was something like between 25 and 30 percent. And the poll recently is more like 60 percent. So I'm saying that New Yorkers are breathing a sigh of relief today. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's good. And I um, and I will say, you know, at the risk of sounding like too coastal centric, let's let's take a step back. There are 20 million people in New York. There are 40 million people in California. That's a large a lot of people in the U.S. live in one or two, one of those two states. Um, So the thing about Cuomo being in charge of one of the biggest states in the country was his being a bully was an open secret among people who are elected officials in the state of New York. It was also an open secret among members of the press. There are Mm -hmm. people that covered him that knew that he was a vindictive jerk who um, was known to call reporters up and scream at them on the phone. Uh, He was known to uh, pretend that he didn't want to talk to somebody and then call them up to give them a surprise interview with no time to prepare for it. He was just a real—a lot of people lived in fear of him and it's a it's a kind of ding dong, the witch is dead moment for a lot of people in the state of New York. Um, and, I, and I hope that his replacement, Kathy Hochul, um, can accomplish what she needs to accomplish coming out under the cloud of that. I do have a question about and I don't know if you can answer this question because I don't think it's, it's definitely not your job. But why is New York like the Illinois of sex pests? Like there are so many, just a, just a long line of sex pests in the governor's office. And before uh, Tish James or Barbara Underwood, there were sex pests in the AG's office.
1: What is
2: up with the New Yorkers and the sex pests, Alyssa? Well, Aaron is someone who loves getting rid of pests, humanely. Um, I don't really know why they're attracted to this state, but they are kind of everywhere. And... You know what makes this all the better is that we're going to have two decidedly non-sex pests running the state now because it's not just Kathy Hochul, but for the first time, not only do we have a, will we have a female governor, but the lieutenant governor will also be a woman. New York Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins is going to be the lieutenant governor. So we have gone from America's biggest sex pest to two women.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that that's good. I feel like we should maybe let women run shit before men completely disqualify themselves for being sex pests. It's true. It's um, true. But you know, here we are. Uh, I want to pivot real quick because we're going to talk more about Cuomo and the culture around yeah. Andrew Cuomo in the next part of our conversation. I want to talk about COVID, and I specifically want to talk about COVID. From the perspective of parents who are about to send their kids back to school if they haven't already and teachers who have to go back to school, especially in states where it appears that the governors are in like this weird dick measuring contest to see who can endanger the children the most Um, in Florida. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis released an executive order banning masking within Florida schools, even though his children go to a private school where masking is required. Should be noted. Mm, totally. Should be noted. Uh, as do Ted Cruz's kids. They go to a private school where masking is required. But I don't I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter if their kids are free. Everyone else's kids need to be free to die. Um, live free and die is what the. Flag oh. says. Um so Ron DeSantis is is doing his darndest to make sure that no schools that his kids don't personally attend are able to require masking mandates. But a couple school districts are openly defying him. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, what do you make of those schools?
2: And how do you think Ron DeSantis is going to come out on the other side of all of this? Do you mean uh, the school districts that are following science and reading the news and paying attention to the spikes in their neighborhoods and their communities. The school's doing reading, writing, and arithmetic and putting it into practice. They are, Erin. They are. And they're saying, you know what? One plus one equals fucking two and nothing else. And uh, what we've learned in the past year is that uh, if you can't be vaccinated, which kids under 12 still cannot be, um, the best thing you can do to keep yourself from being sick is wearing a mask. And- Apparently, this is offensive to the governors of Florida and Texas.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Texas too, because Texas Governor Greg Abbott has banned masking mandates in school, and now he faces a lawsuit over that. It's, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. But while he has banned mask mandates in schools and localities, he has also requested out-of-state aid from nurses and healthcare workers. Alyssa, if you were a nurse
2: or a healthcare worker, would you go help Greg Abbott right now? You know, here's the problem, Aaron. If I were a nurse or healthcare worker, I'd be like, shit, they really need me. Look at that bitch that can't govern their state. <laughs> That's the problem. It's amazing, too, that they don't even listen to a fellow Republican governor, also in a state that's surging, Asa Hutchinson, who's like, shit, I wish I wouldn't have been a dick about masks back in the day because people are really fucking sick now. So, I mean, it feels like, I don't, I guess it feels like the death of their constituents doesn't scare them or make them sad.
0: Do you think that there are any governors left who are true believers that COVID is a hoax or that uh, vaccines don't work? Or do you think that they're all just saying this in order to get their base all frothed up and get themselves on Fox News and they don't really have any regard for the cost of it?
2: It's like every time Ron DeSantis tweets or is at a press conference, he is really just being like, Papa, can you hear me? I mean, it's like he's just Trump. Do you see me? Tucker, do you see me? It's dis- it's it is disgusting. And they are becoming it is it is becoming nearly impossible to say that the deaths in their state they are not responsible for.
0: Yeah, they're directly responsible for it. We have gotten pretty angry at people who are anti-vax, who are spreading misinformation and disinformation and stubbornly refusing to get vaccinated despite having access to all the information necessary to determine that it is safe, despite the fact that they know that they're endangering people around them. We've been pretty harsh on people who've chosen not to get vaccinated. But I think the architects of their reasoning deserve much more concentrated volcanic ire than the individuals who choose not to get vaccinated. And that is like Governor Greg Abbott, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Governor Kristi Noem, who is standing in the back being like, hey, 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 do you see me? me? Do Do you see see me? me? I'm a real bitch who can't govern. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's also like, I mean, South Dakota, what is it, like one eighth or one twentieth of a Texas? Like yeah. I guess I give one twentieth as much of a shit about South Dakotans as I do Texans based on sheer numbers. Um and I and and the fact that there are fewer cities in South Dakota where people are forced to be really close together. But yeah, you know, all of them, all of them really suck and have no regard for the safety of people in their state. Do you think that voters will have a long memory for this once this is, you know? I, I, I talk about once this is past us, but like, why why am I assuming that we're ever going to get past this at this point? But do you think like a year or two from now, voters will have forgotten enough about what DeSantis did, what Abbott did, what Christy Nome did, that they won't hold it against those people when they try for higher office, which we know they're all inevitably going to do?
2: I mean, the people whose primaries they need to win, I'm not sure. I really don't know. It makes me so sad. But I just, you know, the thing that is a a thread through all the stories right now are the anti-vaxxers who said, you know, it was all misinformation. It was all misinformation, you know, that we got. And that's why we didn't get vaxxed. And now my husband's dead. And, you know, I think it's a sad state of affairs that the only way to convince some people that this is real is that it has to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the truth of where we are, then I think maybe the people to whom it happened uh, may remember, will will have a long memory. But other folks will still continue to be like, it's the flu. It's not real. I never got sick, Uh, which is a real – vibe.
0: <laughs> right. It's the as a father of daughters mentality. Where totally. Like,
2: re- Republicans
0: only care about things that impact women if they have personally have daughters or, you know, they, they talk about their personal tie to it. And it's like, you know, other people are people, too. That has been long established that other people are indeed people. And, um, and they
2: were people before your daughter told you not to use homophobic slurs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Last year. I, I almost feel like what we need is some sort of national Oompa Loompa core of, listen to this, <laughs> I came up with this idea, and I texted it to you, and you didn't respond, and I assumed you were busy with literally anything else, because it was the least important thought I've ever had, but I've developed it further, Alyssa. Do I think it! We need, we need a national Oompa Loompa core, groups of people who look and are dressed up like Oompa Loompas who show up to states, who show up to locations where the people responsible for health disasters will be making public appearances, and they should sing Oompa Loompa-style songs about how they are Oompa, suffering Oompa. the consequences. <laughs> yes, Oompa Loompa, doobity Daxed. Uh, nobody would be dead if they'd all gotten vaxxed. Okay, okay,
2: I would have remembered that text. I'm going to have to check my phone because that is genius.
0: Right. And so, you know, we, we just need people. We need a national core of Oompa Loompas who go around to people like Christy Noem, Governor Abbott, and Ron DeSantis, and just rub it in, in a way that is both humiliating and entertaining for all of us.
2: Oh my God, I'm crying. I'm picturing <laughs> myself as the the orchid the conductor of the umpa loompa choir. It feels so right. I think it
0: would be great. I mean, I, I think that there is a real amnesia around cause and effect here. Like in 2024, when Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Christy Nome are running for the Republican nomination for president, they are going to act as though the problems that this country is currently facing aren't partly due to decisions they made as the top official in their state when they were governors. And we just need an Oompa Loompa Corps to remind people Alyssa's <laughs> dancing. Because, I mean, come on. I was made for this. I think, it, I, think I agree. I, th- I think that would be great. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to toasts and roasts. I think we have
2: one toast. I have a toast. Okay, I would love to hear your toast. Okay, my toast is to Lucille Ball. Who in 1964 did a radio show called Let's Talk to Lucy? And it hasn't been heard since 1964. And her daughter, Lucy Arnaz, released it. It's both a podcast that I think you can find wherever you find podcasts, and it's on Sirius Channel 104. It has given me such fucking joy. The trailer is what got me. One, I. I mean, my Lucy book has been with me since the sixth grade. I love Lucy. The real life of Lucille Ball. I have always loved her. And the part that got me is that in the trailer of the original radio show, she says, what you hear from me is always scripted. And I get all of these questions and letters from people. And I thought it would be interesting for you to know what I really think about things. And now look, some of the episodes are hella fucking dated. You know the one about wearing pants. I was like, I'm gonna skip this one. Um, <laughs> Wait, is there like is there like a pants debate? Is like, should you or shouldn't you? Okay, so it is actually uh, actress Arlene Dahl who had written a book. See, I think this is so cool because it's, it's still history. She had written a book. Uh, called Ask a Man, which was like, ask a man what he wants from women. And one of the biggest turn in 1964 <laughs> was when women wore pants. But the best is, I mean, anyone who knows Lucille Ball knows that her voice is like very specific. And this woman's talking about femininity and how when women wear pants, they cut their hair too short and they start talking with husky low voices. And Lucy was like, uh... <laughs> and, but she has like you know she has old act uh, actor danny k on and he talks about how he's going to hong kong to learn how to cook he's like a serious cook and he's going to hong kong for cooking classes and she's got barbara streisand and bing crosby and people that you've never heard of but some of it is like Way enlightened for the time. Others of other episodes are like, you know, pants, but it is, it's such a fucking delight. And I'm so glad they released it because it's nice to, she's just cool as hell. I mean, she was like the first female head of a studio.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lucille Ball, you know, the existence of Lucille Ball is part of the reason why that recurring conversation about like, are women funny? Can women be funny and beautiful? Why it's so annoying because yeah. Lucille Ball was in the 50s, one like beautiful, one of the funniest people in the country and like super smart. And the fact that we just like develop amnesia around like every new generation of smart funny women. Totally. It's it's just like it's very frustrating. Also, I just wanted to comment really quick on Ask a Man as a Subject for anything like women asking men what they find. You don't need to ask them; they will tell you. They will
2: chime in when nobody asked them. We'll see. This usually. is the funny part about that episode is that it starts out by Arlene Dahl saying that uh, there had been studies done saying this is in the in the late fifties saying that when asked, women who they dress for. Women said they dress for other women, which we have heard for forever. It was true back then. And she's like, that's crazy. Why would you dress for other women? And then she talks about asking a man and she literally says, even if he doesn't know the answer, he'll usually tell you something that he thinks is correct. And I was like, I was optimistic. I was like, oh, here we go. And then she's like, don't wear pants. (laughs) I will
0: say one thing though I have I've developed a theory now that I'm now that I'm like third trimester around in the corner to the end um, I have developed a new appreciation for like tenty dresses which I've talked about and I've also developed a new understanding of maybe why pants were not in favor for a long period of time in human history because if you're spending years and years being like pregnant or postpartum pants are not the not great you know like you don't want to have like a totally. You know? I mean, so, look,
2: I still have to be careful how I squat and in what I squat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that sounds really awesome. And this is like just you just like stumbled upon it? I randomly saw I randomly saw an advertisement for it cuz I guess this is what I get targeted with podcasts oh. from the 1960s. But it's uh, it's fucking delightful. It's great.
0: That sounds awesome, and I wish I had a long road trip to go on so I could listen to Sirius 104 the entire time. That sounds great. Okay, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have Michaela Watkins and Akilah Green with us. Oh, This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we are joined by two other wonderful women. Um, but before we get to introducing them, Alyssa, have you ever worked for a queen bee before? Like yeah. a woman who's sort of like a ladder puller, not helping. What was that experience like?
2: Uh, I was pretty terrible. Well, it was funny because the real queen bee was actually like the real big chieftain was a woman and she was great, but she was like the woman, the second in command, and she was my boss. Oh, she tortured me. She tortured me. She'd be like, um, Alyssa, like she just made me do really menial shit because she hated how much the other woman thought I was smart. So she was like really just tortured me. <laughs> no <laughs> other way to put it. <laughs> Ugh, that sounds rough, and I think we all have had a
0: bad experience with somebody who you're like, but you're supposed to help me, and then they don't help you at all. Um, I'm going to introduce the two who will be joining us for this conversation. First, she's an actor and a writer who is married to a man with a dog name and has a dog with a man name. Michaela Watkins, <laughs> welcome.
3: It's true, and now we have another dog who is, um, she's so beautiful and she's so stupid and... um, <laughs> And, like, we spent so much money on training both of them. First of all, Jeff, our other dog, uh, (laughs) is aggressive. He came back from this training camp like clockwork orange. He's like, (laughs) he was like, hello, mother. Hello, father. (laughs) It is a beautiful day today. We are having a nice day. Are we not having a nice day, mother and father? We're like, what happened to our dog? And then the other puppy was a bear, Went to training camp, and she was like a pretty good dog, you know, puppy. She came back a dizzy, dizzy bitch, just <laughs> like an Instagram influencer. Like she's gorgeous. <laughs> she's she's gorgeous. She's long. She's lanky. She's like. Drapes her body all over the place. But I'm like, what's a sit? And she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm gonna. I'm just tired. I'm tired. (laughs) Tell your your dog I
0: love her as Connie Britton's daughter in White Lotus.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I gotta watch the show. You,
0: you 100% have to. It's so good. And the performance of the actress who plays Connie Britton's daughter is phenomenal. I'm just, I'm, she's she's great. Everybody's great on that show. Um, next, a special guest panelist on Hysteria for the first time. She is an Emmy-nominated writer for a Black Lady sketch show and an incredibly relatable composer of the following tweets. And I'm going to read them. Oh, Twitter. Four days ago. I'm drinking a slushie I made out of yellow watermelon, lemon, ginger, sugar, and vodka. I just want to let you know that it's amazing. Twitter, three days ago, drinking a watermelon vodka slushie to beat the heat while taking down my Christmas tree. Because what is time? (laughs) Twitter, two days ago, got too drunk to work out.
1: Aquila Green. (laughs) Welcome oh to the God. show. Thank you. I didn't know I was going to be confronted with my tweets today. <laughs> um, yes, I've been on a watermelon vodka slushy bender for the last few days, where I just like keep some stockpiled in the in the freezer, ready to go at any given time. And so it's the same. I'm working with the same slushy batch. Oh, nice for all three of those tweets. So do uh, you make uh, them like did, a
0: vat? Like a big vat just for just, my
1: just my bullet, just my bullet. They're just very strong. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And I did just take down my Christmas tree in August. What?
2: I still have my Christmas lights up outside. See? It's joy. It's
1: joy. It's joy. Mm -hmm. Time is a construct. Like, what, what 2020, 2021? Who knows? And so I also, I've never put a Christmas tree up in my house before. This is my first year doing it and it was too much work. And so I just needed to make it worthwhile, which means it needed to be up for eight. <laughs> and now that I've taken it down, I will never put another one up. So, <laughs> so that was fun.
0: So you did all of, you put all of the time that you normally would have a Christmas tree up all in, you got it out of the way in one go. Uh, and yeah. And that's it. And that's it. It's
1: the last for me.
0: I love it. This is innovation, giant, Giant batches of watermelon vodka slushy, Christmas trees up for nine months this is this is pragmatism this is
3: getting I will done. say I
1: also stored all of my packages and deliveries under the tree for the whole year, which was a really cool use for like you know otherwise they just kind of clog a corner of the room and now I kind of put it into. A decoration.
0: Oh, did, did you have like to send mail? Like, if you had to send a package, would you put it under the Christmas? Tree? I would.
1: Returns, dry cleaning. Off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm coming around from being like, haha, that's a hilarious thing. To like, that's actually a pretty, mm-hmm. a pretty. Think good about idea. it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely thinking about it now. Congratulations on uh, the Emmy nominations, plural.
1: Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. A Black Lady Sketch Show, uh, five nominations this year. That's amazing. Which is exciting for the whole team. I'm very proud of everybody. That's so cool. Uh,
0: that show awesome. looks like you are all having so much fun. Yeah. A blast. Are you having as much fun as it looks like?
1: Yeah, the writer's room is just a good time. I mean, you know, a lot of antics. Robin Thede is our creator and showrunner, and she's hilarious. And it's a high-energy, foolish room. Did you have to do it on <laughs> Zoom? Uh, this year, because I uh, I I'm not in se- uh, there for season three. Season three is on Zoom. I did seasons one and two, and we were in person.
3: Oh, gotcha. Aren't you grateful? Can you imagine trying to be funny on Zoom?
1: Yeah, I've been in six Zoom rooms though in the last year.
3: Yeah. Jeez. So now
1: it's now it's it's what I know at this point. <laughs> so when wow. you like when you happen to catch like the beginning
0: of an old episode of the Brady Bunch, are you like, why aren't they making jokes? Like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: talking over each other.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, Akilah, I'm really glad you're here to talk about this topic of conversation today. This week, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York resigned after it was revealed that he was a bully and a sex pest. Uh, Alyssa's giving the double middle finger as our resident New Yorker. Uh, Michaela, as a New York native, I'm sure you also feel a certain (laughs) way about Governor Cuomo.
3: Well, I feel like this is less about Governor Cuomo than it is a win for women. Mm-hmm. I just feel like even though he didn't totally own what he did, I mean, he thanked his accusers, he had thanked the people who came forward, right? But he didn't, he also denied it and all these other things. But what has been acknowledged is that you can't. <laughs> Apparently, you could in the 80s, 90s, and early aughts. But not anymore can we grab Mm -hmm. women's breasts. Mm -hmm. Uh, The line has been drawn. And the (laughs) line has moved. And that line is now women. Oh, I guess they're your breasts. And I don't get to grab them anymore. The line has been redrawn. 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 redrawn Before we could grab women's breasts because your breasts were all our breasts. Um, but, (laughs) But my point is, is that like, he He's an old fart he's whether he learns these lessons or not is sort of over here nor there. What mm-hmm. is happening is that there are consequences, real consequences for treading all over women and our bodies and our rights mm-hmm. and you know sexualizing us at work, and that is now something now that we see a big guy like Cuomo taken down over it that it is going to actually put the fear of God in a lot of other men, that maybe mm-hmm. things will change for women. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's the only reason why I'm kind of flipping a bird too at the screen is because it's just like— yeah, Cuomo Shmomo, you know, it, it's more just like, yay, women, yay, yay, yeah. us, you know.
0: Yeah, we got bigger fish to fry. As much as Cuomo would like to think he's the biggest fish that ever fished, uh, we've got bigger fish to fry and a bigger problem to solve. One of the main reasons that Cuomo was able to establish such an atmosphere of toxicity. Um, in the state house, in the state of New York, in the government is because he surrounded himself by women who kind of were his attack dogs. And you see that sometimes that um, other women uh, end up being the sort of foot soldiers of a sort of monster boss or are the monster boss themselves or more insidiously and kind of more uh, less like immediately painfully. They're sort of there in front of you as a boss, as a potential mentor, as somebody who's above you on the ladder, um, but they just don't reach down and help you at all. So we're going to call these women ladder pullers, queen bees, um, sort of women who like to uh, break the glass ceiling and then repair it when you try to follow them through. So Akilah, um, you've picked this topic out of a list of topics. I would love to know why you're interested in discussing ladder pullers and whether or not you've had any experience with one.
1: I thought it was interesting because I think there's a racial component to it where when I read about ladder pullers, I've had this conversation with some friends of mine before where I feel like for Black women in particular, because we've been marginalized, there's more solidarity. We've had to look out for each other because nobody else is. And so in my experience, Black women who I've worked with or been in school with or been in groups with have been very supportive, have reached out because we have to share opportunities because other people aren't. And so I've heard white women complain about ladder pullers more than I've heard Black women complain about ladder pullers. And that's not to say that they don't exist. I just think it's not as common because we don't have the luxury, because we have less proximity to power. So that's why I was interested in this topic, because it comes up often. And I remember in particular, I was writing on Chelsea Handler's Netflix show, and this is right after Trump won. And she wanted to write an article about how women like didn't support Hillary and women are tearing each other down and we need to lift each other up. And she was asking for our input on it. And I pointed out that 94% of Black women voted for Hillary. So to me, that puts a fine point on the, the, the point I'm making, which is that I don't think it's As true in some communities as others, because if you're marginalized, you just don't have the opportunity to step on other people the same way Mm -hmm. or pull the ladder up the same way.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point about voting patterns, because we saw, you know, kind of a a racial difference in the way that people, a way that women voted in 2020 as well. Do you think that just from your observations, do you think that uh, there's something inherent in the culture of white women that... Causes us to be more likely to be like, nope,
1: I got mine. I'm slamming the door because it seems yeah. like that's how they vote. Yeah, I think it's a. I think when I think about voting, I think it's also proximity to power, where it's like if white men are your partners and family members and fathers, you, there is a vested interest in ensuring that they continue to be in power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes white men, women don't just feel like they're voting in their own interest when they vote for a white man, they actually are. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I think that's where that instinct comes from.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Michaela, have you ever experienced
0: like ladder pulling, I guess, like in a, uh, in a workplace, have you ever looked to somebody to to provide you with help only to have them sort of shut you out. And I also would love to hear your thoughts um, on like what Akila just said about voting patterns and proximity to power and ladder pulling.
3: Well, I'll say, take the second first, which is I love what you just said, Akilah, because it just makes so much sense. I mean, when I read about the women, uh, his top aides who were helping to discredit women who were accusing Cuomo my first reaction was, I'm reading this article wrong because this doesn't make any sense. Like, I must be reading this. That's how incredulous it was to me that there would be women who would be doing that, especially like, I think the head woman of Time's Up, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like, uh, oh, and then just like Akilah pointed out, women in power, all women in power are probably (laughs) attached to a lot of men in power. You know, that there's probably a direct connection, a direct bridge. And so that is where I was like my naivete uh came through because I just um I just couldn't sort of believe it. And then I remembered that. And mm-hmm. uh and you said it so perfectly, Achilles. So I, I think um that that's just my reaction is it's just that, oh yeah, what a bummer. And yeah. until women uh help each other up ladders, when we realize we don't have to align ourselves with men to create that power, then we can stop that cycle of handing down abuse.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, you know, I think we've kind of, we've danced around this a little bit, but there's this like kind of notion of scarcity that there's like a limited number of spots that can go to women. And sometimes I feel like that maybe contributes to people gatekeeping or trying to to not be as helpful to help other women figure out how to advance. As you were working in government, did you notice a sort of assumption among women who were at your level or like slightly below your level um, that they needed to like protect what they had earned and not let anyone else in on
2: the secret to how to do it? So the funny thing is I would say that in the White House, that was not the case ever at any point. Um, Earlier in my career on campaigns, there were definitely women that, like, cracked the code, right? There was this one woman who would get up at 4 in the morning so she could listen to, like, ESPN, so she could be able to talk baseball and sports with all the guys while she was straightening her hair. And they were like, she's the freaking coolest. And she got in and in and in, and she became oh. part of their crew. And she definitely did not do anything – you know, she felt like, well, I'm the one who's fucking getting up at four o'clock in the morning. Like, what am I going to do for you? And she definitely, you know, it came to be known that when it was suggested certain people would be in certain meetings, she'd be like, well, we don't need them. And when you looked at it, she was the only woman who was in most of these uh, situations. And I mean, I was so mad about it because it seemed like a fucking ploy. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like she yeah. really was. And how could you do that? It it really made me feel badly. Like it, it made me feel so excluded. And it wasn't just about me, but there were so many other people that when we actually did get to the White House, there were so many of us who had been treated that way at some point mm-hmm. that we specifically tried. And look, I'm sure there's someone I pissed off at some point, you know. I was not known as as the softest of beasts. But Mm -hmm. we would make sure that if the president was having, not all the, uh, if when it was appropriate, if the president was having a meeting that was like, let's say about housing policy, instead of just having the most senior person who in that instance happened to be a man talking about it, the other deputy chief, Uh, Nancy Ann DeParle and I would be like, you know what? We're going to sit backbench. We're going to sit against the wall. We're going to invite the young person who actually knows the policy to sit at the table and brief the president. Because when you are in the government, and you are not seeing your family and you're working hard, one of the few things that you can do is be able to call your parents at night and be like, I briefed the president. And so we definitely tried to do that. And it was because we both had experienced things in our past where people intentionally, like, closed the door behind us or would come in. This this was the worst. This was the worst. When a meeting would happen and you were in the building, right? And they would start talking about your specific shit. And instead of being like, let's get Alyssa, for example, they come out and be like, oh, so you should know they started talking about this and here, <laughs> you Ugh. know, Ugh. and then you just got to go chase around and find the information. So it is definitely, I have definitely seen it uh, because of it. I tried to not do it because um, I know how it felt and that I didn't grow, you know, I mostly just felt isolated and and mm-hmm. sad. But yeah, she, she she grew into a nicer person. I'll say that for her. She, she grew into a much nicer person. We were pretty That's young when this good. was happening, but still. I mean, some of that seems like, you know, it's funny. There's like one of
0: two ways that you can process that sort of experience. And one of them is to replicate it in everybody else that you encounter and be like, I went through it. You have to go through it too. And that mm-hmm. sucks. Uh, and then the other one is like, I went through it. Nobody else should have to go through it. And I right. feel like if there was a Venn diagram between people who are like, wow, nobody should have to go through it as hard as I did. Uh, and people who are like, let's forgive student loans. I feel like that would be a circle because people people who are like, I had to pay my student loans. So everyone should have to are probably the same people that are enforcing like cycles of toxicity in their own
3: workplaces. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's absolutely, it's like, there's this thing and I feel it all the time, even at the groundlings, uh, Uh, which was like, you know, sort of a well-known sketch comedy school, there was this uh, environment where people thought that women were uh, disliked or not treated as well, especially by the female teachers. And Mm. I think there was a split. I think in some ways there were women that were like, I'm going to put you through the ringer, the women through the ringer, because that's how I was treated. And I think there are the teachers that are sometimes harder on women because they're like... I believe in you and I, I'm going to push you harder than I do the men. Mm. And that messaging gets real confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akilah, I did want
0: to go to you. Yeah. When you were working in D.C., you had like this crazy career where you're now like this super successful writer on the West Coast and you also had this other life where you were a lawyer and a lobbyist in D.C. Did yes. you ever have to combat people who uh, didn't wouldn't support something or like were you ever around people who wouldn't support something if they knew that
1: it would benefit other people in a way that they didn't get a benefit from? Sure. The Republican Party. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was a financial services lobbyist. Um, I did a bunch of um, that was one of the buckets, one of the big buckets. But yeah, at the time, um, the House was controlled by Republicans. And yeah, so we work with a lot of them. And yeah, it's a lot of looking out for self, looking out for big business, business over the interests of consumers, homebuyers, employees, working class people. So yeah, all the time. And Some were more transparent than others. Some people would be explicit about that. And then some people would find another way to mask it and couch it and, you know, wave the flag over here when the issue was really over there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of saw that in, like, the division of, like, Biden's infrastructure plan, where they were like, this is traditional infrastructure versus care infrastructure. Like, they felt the need to parse out the things that would primarily benefit the people who usually benefit from this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, the people who benefit from the status quo always want to maintain it. So that's just a law of nature, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. So that's that will play out in every policy argument.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk really quickly about a study about ladder pulling behavior and queen bee behavior in women. Uh, and it came out in 2018. And basically, the study surveyed a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of women, and it asked them, like, who is meaner to you at work? And the women were like, women are meaner to me at work. Um, Do you believe that women are truly less kind to each other at work or that we are more sensitive to the way that we are treated by other women?
3: I mean, the first thing it makes me think of is that women, I think, used to be harsher to each other at work. And I think that culture in my experience has completely changed and that I find that women actually find each other and bond together at work so much more now uh, than ever. And I remember that one of the things, I mean, just circle back to the groundlings once again, like when I came in and got into the main company, there was this idea that um, it was really hard for a woman there. So I started having these uh, dinners uh, once a month for all, just the women in the ground groundlings. And it was like lady dinners. And I thought if we could become this kind of cohesive group where we root for each other, uh, then it would be a very really happy place. And even now they do things like lady groundling shows and that tradition has completely continued. And the women in the groundlings are, are, are super duper tight. And I find that every job I go on, there is, uh, there there is. I just feel like... Um, I mean, obviously this is only anecdotal in my personal experience, but I just feel like uh, all the women just sort of find each other. And there isn't this thing of uh trying to please <laughs> our male compatriots. I feel like sometimes almost even bad for uh some of my colleagues my male colleagues, because I think maybe they even might feel a little bit left out now, uh, in some ways. Almost bad, not totally bad. Uh just it's just uh the shift has been huge, just
1: huge mm-hmm. plate shifts, I feel like
3: in, in the environment that I'm in. So I don't know. That's just me.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like it has to do with our expectations of people. I think we ex- expect women to be kinder to us when they're not. We're upset about it, but we don't have that expectation of men. So men go get to re- go around being villains, grabbing titties. And we're just like, well, that's just the name of the game. And that I guess I just have to deal with that because you never expected them to have your back and in fact you probably expected them to make it harder and so they as a result they get away <laughs> with mm-hmm. worse behavior it is um you know one of the reasons why women get called out for protecting cuomo when you know a bunch of men were also there turning mm-hmm. a blind eye and mm-hmm. you know shoving files in corners and in trash bins
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we just have like our okay. expectations for men are just so low in workplaces um you know, uh, something that this Cuomo business has kind of made me think about is um, I read about the ways that Cuomo treated people who complained about harassing behavior. And my brain goes back to my time when I was working in financial services. I worked as a at, at Merrill Lynch <laughs> during the crash in like 2007, 2008. And at the time, I was like, the guys I work with are great. But now looking back, I'm like, you know... I felt uncomfortable a lot. I felt uncomfortable a lot of the time. And I don't think back then that it was okay to say, I don't like it when you're asking me questions about my love life. You're 60. Mm
3: -hmm. You
0: know, this is a weird thing for you to be bringing up with me. I don't like these questions. I don't like going out to work happy hours and, you know, having a person put their hand on the small of my back. I don't, I didn't ever like that, but I just thought that that was the way. That was just a thing that you had to deal with, you know? And I'm glad that it's not something people have to deal with because I think a lot of or anymore in moving forward, I because I think a a lot of energy gets wasted on trying to convince yourself that you're okay with it when stuff like that is happening around you. And and then as a result, you like temper your expectations of all men that you work with and you just assume that they're going to be the ones that are doing bad shit, like, uh, like Akilah mentioned, and you assume that women are going to be the ones that save you from the bad shit. And that's not fair to either men or women, because, you know, yeah. I've seen enough counter examples of men who are not pieces of shit to know that the men who are have no excuse to be pieces <laughs>
3: of shit. Like when men speak up, it's so, it has such a bigger impact than when women do. I mean, in, in my last job, uh, the other woman I worked with, we sort of had this unspoken thing where if she felt like she wanted to speak out about anything, I would always say, hold on, wait, what were you saying? Um, can, can 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 we just hear, Can you know, like try to turn the spotlight to each other if that were happening? But um, so, you know, I'm at work and somebody made a joke and used the T-slur for a trans person. And uh, I said, hey, you know, we don't use that word anymore. And Then he kind of looked at me weird and then said to my coworker, like, my coworker said, wait, what word? And then he made the same Mm -hmm. joke. And my coworker was like, hey, man, you know, we don't, you know, nobody, nobody Mm -hmm. says that anymore. And it just had so much more merit coming from him suddenly because he looked like he actually, like, I saw him visibly shrink. But when I said it, it just sort of was like, oh, you don't get me. Let me turn to a guy who gets my humor.
0: There's a certain type of bad behavior mm-hmm. that when the right person confronts it, mm-hmm. the person responsible for the bad behavior will react like a dog that just got a bucket of water pulled over it the- <laughs> over their head. Yes. Like, what is happening? <laughs> what just happened to like, me? And I mean, I think that's maybe the only way that people learn, but in some cases, I think a lot of I, I think there are people who are currently in situations where They can't get out of it for whatever reason. And they're working for somebody who is actively mean or actively making their life hell. Alyssa, when you were working in a situation where you had somebody who was like just a real, a really bad woman to work for, how did you deal with it? And what advice would you give people who are currently facing that situation?
2: Guys, I have to be very honest. The time this happened to me, I was not uh, very mature. (laughs) We Basically... The woman who sticks out most in my brain was, uh, she was the, so the big boss was a woman and she was my direct supervisor. And the only way to deal with her was to exceed her expect I can't even, I can't even tell you how she would talk to me. And it was my first job out of college. So I was like, wow, I think I am not cut out for the workforce. (laughs) Like this is not for me. So we, um, my other two girlfriends who were also paralegals, we, um, we just came up with really nasty nicknames that we would mouth whenever she came into the paralegal pit. And it was the only thing – one, everybody saw it. Like even the other associates saw it and were like, she's really awful to you. <laughs> but like nobody wanted to do it because they thought – do I say anything to her because they thought she was the anointed. And the best is she thought she was so nice to me. Like that was the part that was the hardest. And so uh, I wish that I could say I had some very sophisticated way of dealing with it, but we just had really awful – Nicknames for her that, and we would talk shit about her the whole way home in the car, and it mm-hmm. was the only thing that made it better. <laughs> and we just found out so much about her that it became hard for us to feel bad when she was me. <laughs> but I know I have no, I have no constructive advice here. I just, except uh, to keep doing what you're doing and save money and get a new job. <laughs> That's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> um, Akila, yeah. I want to end this conversation with you. So you're talking about how uh, black women in Hollywood and other writers that you've met are really good at supporting each other. What are some ways that that you were pleasantly surprised to find that Black women support each other? Um, and, and do you have any like ongoing support
1: geared uh, appointments with each other? And
0: I, I would totally. just love to hear about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there've been formal and informal networks. So informally, when I first got here, you know, I like, it would just take somebody being like, oh, I went to undergrad with so-and-so who's working on this show. Will you have, co- uh, I'll ask them if they'll have coffee with you and everybody was willing. And then we stayed in touch. And I found that informally, my everybody who was just like a half a step ahead of me in their careers would try to reach back. So like, if they were a staff writer, they would tell me about writer's assistant posi- positions. When I was a staff writer and they were, a, a, you know, a rung or two up, they would tell me about another job opening. And so it was always like making sure I knew about opportunities. And so informally I have a writer's group and there are six of us and then there's a big black women's writers group that got written up in the Hollywood Reporter there's about a hundred of us and we have retreats and meetings and in these and also like advice and a Facebook group where like do you need a, an accountant I heard about this job opening I'm having a problem at work and when we we have like a and we'll retreat and we get together and it's like unload who did what who said what and also like who's a shitty showrunner And then you can kind of tap the wires. I got an offer offer for this job. Do you know these people? Mm -hmm. Oh, so-and-so is awful. Great. Or I know so-and-so and and I love them. I'll put in a good word. And so that's honestly happening constantly, um, which has been awesome. Like I need glam for these award shows that are coming up. And I'm like, help somebody. (laughs) And like, everybody's like, I'm going to call my friend. She hooked me up last time. And so um, I feel very fortunate to be surrounded by women who no matter how big they get, they still have time. to keep bringing us along,
0: That's so great. And also, um, as you were talking, I got very curious. Have you picked out your glam Uh looks for upcoming award shows? And if so, can you give us a preview?
1: I have three awards. This is my first award season. I have three events coming up and I have big ideas for how I should look. which (laughs) (laughs) Which is different than what I'm going to look like. So I don't want to raise anybody's expectations, but I did find a stylist. And I sent him some pictures and we'll see what comes back. I told him I want to look fun and comfortable. Like I cannot be like taped up and stitched together and I can barely turn and something might fall out while I'm on the (laughs) wreck. I just, I can't dedicate brain power to that. So we'll see what it looks like. (laughs) Well,
0: I'm sure with the helpful hive mind of the community that you founded or that you found, I'm sure that it will be, uh, I'm sure you'll look great. I'm sure
1: you'll feel great. And Fingers uh, crossed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to like the Getty images. (laughs) Me too.
1: Baby's first Getty images.
0: Oh, I love it. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel
3: petty.
4: I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible.
0: And welcome back. Before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. 2022 is around the corner. That is a sentence I hate reading, but it is correct. And in order to win elections in the face of GOP power grabs, we are going to have to dig deep and work harder than ever before. And that work needs to start early. Vote Save America's brand new No Years Off program will support the groups and organizers laying the groundwork in key states through remote voter opportunities, targeted donations, and education on what's at stake in upcoming elections. Sign up today at votesaveamerica.com slash no off years. Okay, house has been kept. Now let's talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. Michaela, do you want to start us off? What are you feeling petty about?
3: Oh, I don't know if this is even pettiful. This is a pettiful petty. Uh, <laughs> I um, I I started watching some reality TV because uh, there was this uh, environmental report that came in that we're all going to die. So I thought, um, how do I? get over this uh wake up in the middle of the night panic. So I just started watching uh like my unorthodox life or my so-called unorthodox life or whatever. Yeah. And uh also because a lot of people have been telling me I should do a I should do an impression of uh, this this woman, Julie Hart Hart. Anyway, so you really could. <laughs> 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 so here's my takeaway from reality television and I just hate it. I really don't like <laughs> reality TV. I think it's, oh. I mean, we all agree that it's, it's just so, I know it's fake because I actually used to log tapes for the interviews. And I know that how much the, the producers are coercing the, you know, guests to, to 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 say certain things and to create hostility and angst where there isn't any. I, I know all this, but This woman, Julie Hart, is very impressive. She was, you know, in this very ultra-Orthodox community where women have no voice, no say, and, you know, just the horrible things of most fundamentalism that it it brings, which is that uh, women are second-class citizens, and it's, it's garbage. And then she not only left it, took her bisexual daughter with her and her other daughter, who's, you know, tormented, and... Starts this fashion line, has an elite modeling company. Like, this woman is absolutely incredible, right? So why the fuck is she on a reality show? Like, I just—nobody, nobody nobody on reality shows are as amazing. Like, Trump wasn't the big fucking crazy boss that, you know, gets to fire people. Like, they—Burnett took them on, painted a bunch of garbage furniture gold— and said he's a rich man. And then America bought it. And they're like, he's the richest man. And if he were my president, he'd be the best businessman for America ever. And it's like, no, there's garbage secondhand furniture that they literally painted gold. And I I I'm excited for this woman, but I also I don't I don't buy it. I don't, I'm not buying it.
0: Wow. So. Fighting words with Akilah Green in the house who has been on the podcast Bitch Sesh multiple times. I love, <laughs> um, love
1: Real Housewives. Die hard. I know. And Casey Wilson. It's the, it's the trashiest thing about me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, in the course of doing this podcast, in the course of the last three years, uh, although I'm not a, a big consumer of reality TV, I have learned to not disparage reality TV because we only have smart women on this podcast, mm-hmm. and so many of them are so into reality TV. Mm-hmm. Akila, we had a literal theoretical physicist on the show a few weeks ago, and she loves reality TV so much, she watches versions of The Bachelor in different languages. Wow. Good, okay. like, so she is like... <laughs> There is nothing trashy. There's no
1: trashy qualifier necessary anymore. Smart people watch it. It's whatever. I, and I, I will confess that I only watched The Real Housewives, so I I don't know these other shows. And so you know, I
3: I don't think you should I apologize. Can't. Look, there or, or, I, or I, disclaim I'm not, I'm
1: anything. Not, I'm just saying that like. <laughs> I'm just saying that I can't speak to what <laughs> other people are doing on other shows, <laughs> but I am an expert on real <laughs> Oh my gosh. Akilah, uh, what are you feeling petty about this week? Okay. I had to think about it because I, you know, any anytime I have a grievance, I don't think it's petty. I think the national guard should get involved on my behalf. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but, but one thing that has pissed me off recently is these unsolicited accountability partners were like, if I casually mention to a friend that I'm going to work out today or I'm going to finish my outline today, and then they text me later to be like, Hey, did you work out? Did you oh! finish your outline? I'm like, Are you fucking nuts? <laughs> <laughs> are you insane? Who appointed you? And I think it speaks to like, I don't, it happens on Twitter all the time where people are giving unsolicited advice. Like, you're like, Well, I made a recipe, and they're like, You should try, you know, honey instead of sugar. And it's like, who asked you? People have like propped themselves up and made themselves very important these days. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I bristle
0: at unasked for advice also. And I and I don't know, and sometimes my response is like disproportionate. I'm like, you know, the rage guy from inside out. I'm like, girl, like yep. you think I don't know about that book. Everyone <laughs> knows about that book.
1: Yes. Sometimes when I tweet something and it's just a joke, like I'm not crowdsourcing for feedback. I have to literally say, no troubleshooting, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. Uh, Akilah, I am like six and a half months pregnant. And the amount of unsolicited advice is we could power... We could power Texas <laughs> if we could just plug plug that energy in somewhere. The other week I tweeted, does anyone know how to make a fetus sleep through the night? Like joking, obviously. I don't. It's a I read, fetus. I it's, read the comments on that because I was yeah, just so Yeah, and if people were like, try running around before bed. It's like I was, it was a joke tweet.
2: I don't. I don't think I'm going to successfully get my fetus to sleep through the night. Well, I was going to reply to you, try bourbon, but then I read some of the other comments. I was like, these people are not here for comedy. They're not here
3: for (laughs) No. But was it nice to see a lot of people had said like the worst? It's just terrible, isn't it? Didn't you feel like (laughs) that was like that was nice for somebody to be like, no, I don't have anything. But also I remember that was horrible.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Sometimes you just want someone to commiserate. Yeah, or you know, like or make or or give you goofy advice. You know, I like goofy advice. That's like, that, there's no way I would do that. Somebody said sleep upside down like a bat. That made me laugh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, when random people give me advice on Twitter, like random, like I, you've got an egg or whatever, you mm. know, in your profile, it's like. I didn't make it this far because I'm stupid and don't know how to do anything. You know, what I mean? like I just don't know why you think I need you to save me. As anyway. as
3: someone who right. is a little stupid and doesn't know how to do that much, um, sometimes I have gotten some real winter chicken dinner advice out of the out of the internet. I have uh, to. out of comments, yeah. But like I usually ask just for like, it. Yeah,
1: you have to solicit it. Right. Is mm-hmm. my is yeah. my point. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yes, yes,
0: I I completely agree and. Uh, Yeah, uh, I agree. I feel petty about that too, Akilah, on your behalf. Um, Thank you. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about? You
2: guys. We have to get rid of the word dreamy. I hate the word dreamy. I hate when people describe things. What dreams do you have that you want to replicate? Because mine are all night terrors for the most part. (laughs) So when people are like, this dreamy house or this dream, – first of all, I feel like it's all influencer language at this point. Mm -hmm. Like if someone said it and I thought like, look at this dreamy meringue. I mean, maybe – Maybe the meringue could be dreamy. dreamy meringue. But wh- oh. I don't know what made me think of a meringue. I guess because it looks like a cloud. <laughs> but mostly I just uh, – I feel like that word is so fake and that mm-hmm. when people use it, they're just trying to become sponsored by something. And so yeah. I just – I I this dreamy. I mean, find a better word. It's like nice, I guess. Dreamy is – I just – I hate it. I hate it. It's yeah. been on my mind. And I think it should go. Dreamy meringue is is leaving a film in my mouth. It
0: well, is it's like the like people name are of are
2: always describing like this dreamy wedding. I guess. I mean, it was never a goal <laughs> of mine, so I don't know. But this dreamy wedding, this dreamy dress. Oh, why, why you want to be asleep? I mean, you want to be asleep, go asleep. I just – I don't know. <laughs> Stop calling – like, I guess – I like if you're saying dreamy, like use ethereal. Is that what you mean? I don't know. I just think it's a stupid word. You I, I feel it.
3: like we are uh, getting past the point of like cute words to describe things. Like, and now I want real words. Like I used to say dreamy, you know. So I wore well, don't an, ever a, do it again. I, I wore an Emmy dress, <laughs> a coral Emmy dress, and somebody called me a creamy dreamsicle, and I loved it. Okay, but that's I, nice. That's but, okay. But I, I think yummy. I think yummy. Oh, that's another one. That's another one. That's yeah. another one. You hate it. Yeah, yeah. You hate I think yummy. we're getting, we're moving. This is, this chapter is closed now. We well, can, if um, it's
2: yummy food, that's one thing. I don't, I mean, yummy babies are okay too. But other than that, I really think that we should find another word. Yes. But- <laughs> I, I, oh my gosh! Yeah, I, it is really
0: non-specific, and it didn't bug me before, but now it's going to. So yeah, thank you for that. Okay.
2: Just look at the people who
1: use it. Okay, just saying. Yeah, now I will look for it. Look everywhere at it, and when people I don't use think anybody it, anybody in my circle is using Dreamy. I uh, have to figure out where are they. Is it the Instagram? It's really it's very Instagram
2: focused, and especially Insta okay. Story, IG stories. Everything's fucking Dreamy there. Yeah. Oh.
3: <laughs> it might be a oh, woman God. of a certain age thing too, possibly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Might be us. Might might be us. us.
3: Might be us. The
0: flip side of that, though, is I love nightmare as a description. Yeah. It's a nightmare person. Vivid. Descriptive. Yeah. It's like, yeah, calling someone a nightmare person, I know exactly what you mean. I know what it is. I know exactly what you mean. It's a nightmare person. Right. Um, Okay. I have one thing that I think several of us feel petty about. Jeopardy. Mm which is a show that used to be on when I would get to my grandparents' house after school and I don't really watch it anymore. Uh, Jeopardy! announced its new host. Its new host is Mike Richards. You may ask in Jeopardy! fashion, who is Mike Richards? <laughs> uh, but I'm I, That's a great question. <laughs> um, he looks like, have you ever bought a picture frame and there's like an insert already <laughs> in the picture
3: frame? My favorite He's- of Aaron's insults.
0: He's that, but of people. He is the picture frame insert white man. um, And he is the new host of Jeopardy. He came onto the show as an executive producer last fall, I believe. It seems now for the express purpose of one day filling Alex Trebek's shoes. um, Before he was at Jeopardy, he was at the Price is Right He was in a sexual harassment lawsuit uh, from when he was a producer on The Price is Right. It was dismissed before a settlement was was reached. Uh, The allegation in the sexual harassment lawsuit was uh, a Price is Right model said that Richards fired her because she was pregnant from the show. So now he's the host of Jeopardy, not LeVar Burton like it should have been. LeVar Burton got done dirty the whole process, by the way. LeVar Burton guest hosted during the week of the Olympics when the time of Jeopardy was like bopping around because of NBC's insane Olympics schedule. And so not as many people watched it because not as many people knew when it was on. Like it was just moving around. It was super unfair. Uh, Mayim Bialik, who a lot of people also really liked as a guest host, will apparently be filling in occasionally. But I just think this is like the most milk toast boring mm-hmm. offensively boring choice and you know i have big plans on what kind of an old lady i'm going to be i'm cruising toward it <laughs> i cannot wait and i'm jeopardy is part of those plans <laughs> i need mike richards to be out of there by the time by the time i'm ready to be an old lady who watches jeopardy and and i don't know how how long i can wait i wanted to be in like get into my old lady self <laughs> within the next 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. i wanted to start Start my descent into that. And I need him gone before that happens. So that's what I'm feeling petty about. Alyssa, I wonder what you, I'm sure you have Jeopardy opinions. What do you You think? You know, I have Jeopardy
2: opinions. Because Alex Trebek is the reason. I even had any fun my freshman year of college. Amy, Dana, and Molly, if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. We ruled the Billings Dining Hall at UVM when Jeopardy! (laughs) would come on. We always had our food, our pasta pronto, at the table in time for kickoff of Jeopardy! (laughs) And I used to have nightmares before Alex Trebek got sick about Alex Trebek getting sick. And so the thing that was so dirty about what they did to Lavar Burton was that this person, this new person, his negotiations had to be underway before
3: that week ever aired. Mm-hmm. Oh, um mm-hmm.
2: so that's fucking lame
3: and I Well they just, might have all had their contracts set up before they could even step foot on it.
2: Maybe. I don't
3: know. Like what that like means, when you actually. test <laughs> like when you test for a pilot, like everybody's testing has their deal written.
1: I like Alyssa's theory that it's a conspiracy. Yeah, I think it's a conspiracy. (laughs) I think it's a
2: conspiracy because – and also I did watch quite a few of them and Mayim also did a really good job and took it really seriously and was like the appropriate level of nerd, you know, and also was like loving it. Like Alex Trebek fucking loved it every day. That's the whole point of the show. He loved it. And this guy feels like he fucking plotted, you know, to like – Trick everybody and get it. So I hope that his ratings are terrible and they replace him, but that it doesn't tank the entire franchise. That is how right. I feel.
1: Can I just? I, oh, go ahead, Akila. I, I I'm not a Jeopardy watcher. I, I've only kind of followed this conversation loosely on Twitter because people were rooting for LeVar Burton. Uh, <laughs> but but what I can't understand is like this Mike guy has no name recognition and like I mean, no camera experience and so it's one of those where like in the year 2021 we're really giving white men with no qualifications jobs I mean, still like, it's so crazy it I, thought, I, thought it
3: was <laughs> I thought it was Kramer from Seinfeld I was like oh <laughs> Mike
1: Richards and kind of hoped it was him Yeah
3: <laughs> it's, it's him like what a what a pivot uh
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah that it just it just seems It seems really weird. And I will say that the silver lining of this conversation, it is really nice to hear people talking about a man who is like nakedly ambitious with the same disdain that we usually reserve for nakedly ambitious women. I think feminism has finally won that we are now (laughs) equally mean to men for being like, you are just, in this for the promotion, I I'm I'm in favor of that. I think we should give more scrutiny to mediocre white men who get jobs that they don't seem like they deserve.
3: <laughs> I just think people want their their Jeopardy host to remind them of their favorite fourth grade math teacher. You know, it's just sort of just like affable and disappears, and you know, <laughs> and and, right. and I think that the truth is is that Levar is. Is just too good for the show, mm. and uh, too shiny, too wonderful, and it, it, and the show just doesn't deserve him.
0: Fair. Got a pitch for Levar, uh, and this is this. I just want the, I want this show to exist. I I want to will it into existence. Reading Rainbow, but for grownups, like adult reading Rainbow, where we have people go in and talk about like books that they really liked and LeVar hosts and he gives like animated recaps of them and every week I can watch a show where I find out about like four or five new books that I'm like, I like that. I'm going to add that to my Amazon card or I'm going to add that to my IndieBound card or whatever. Yeah,
3: although if Lavar was my fourth grade teacher I probably would have paid attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That
0: is all the time we have for the show this week. Michaela, Aquila Green, thank you so much for stopping by, both of you. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die as usual. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.